Welcome to Rapid Roundup, a weekly series where we take several games throughout the week, do many critiques on them, and let you know what we think throughout all of this. My name is Moriarty. And this is Brax. And this week, we'll be taking a look at Symmetry. Puss. Internal Light VR. Island Buildmasters. Later on in the week, on Wednesday, we have a new talks video dealing with stealth games, how they became popular, and what one single game or developer we could look to to understand the history of the stealth genre. On Friday, we'll be taking a look at Moss, a brand brand new exciting PSVR game that is an action-adventure puzzle game that uses the PlayStation's DualShock 4 better than any game I've ever seen that uses the PS moves. It's a really neat title, it has an awesome character that is so PlayStation, and I think you guys are going to enjoy it. But, for now, let's round them up! Symmetry is a survival game where you have to keep your crew alive as long as possible. It's a point-and-click game where you click on things and you point at them. I've played many point-and-click games. They're not always exciting. We've discussed in the past that point-and-clicks normally have a good compelling story. Is this a story-driven game or more of a gameplay-driven game? This is very much a gameplay-driven game, and it's more about, I want to say Sims-like, in that you have to manage different meters. The game that this most reminds me of is Gods Will Be Watching, which is an incredibly neat game that we looked at a long time ago. I loved it, where you have to manage things happening in the environment in order to survive as long as possible. This is not as deep as Gods Will Be Watching, but it is still very cool. You have three randomly selected survivors of a spaceship crash, and they are in a base and you have to keep them alive as long as possible. You do this by having them eat and rest and produce food and find resources and keep their heat going. And one of the interesting things for me was as you use these resources, they become more and more scarce. Your people have to travel further away from your base in order to find more stuff, which means that they're going out into freezing cold on a random abandoned planet and trying to survive and they may get caught out in a storm and die and then you have lost one-third of your entire base the idea of dynamic resources is intriguing because it adds another layer of thinking to the game right if i have to concentrate all of the time on how much food i have in the base but also on the fact that if i use a lot of food the game actually reacts to that in a way that it gets more difficult over time with there being less and less i like that it, it adds another layer and it makes it feel like it has its own like little economy of sorts even though you're dealing with resources not actual money so if i'm understanding this correctly the danger in this game does not come from any sort of enemies it's just the environment itself and actually the ability to stay alive you know via eating and drinking and staying safe not getting sick things like that am i correct that's exactly it. Trying to keep everyone alive, keep them fed, keep them rested, and keep your resources to a level that you can actually handle stuff when it happens, while also trying to repair your spaceship so that you can contact people and get out. It's very in-depth, and it's remarkably hard. This is a stupidly difficult game as was Gods Will Be Watching, so I kind of expected it. One thing that raises my curiosity, when you say you should have enough resources for basically when something goes wrong, right? So are there times in this game that you can only go outside during that time of the day? Are there storms that will prevent you randomly from going out there? Is there any sort of luck factor to it, if that makes sense, where things happen that are outside of your control? Absolutely there is. So you might have your power shut down because 
a random comet asteroid hits your power generator, which means now you have to spend those resources in order to repair it while also keeping everybody alive in your slowly freezing base. It's incredibly cool, it's very difficult, and there's even a hard mode. I tried it, and I died on day two. Wow, you didn't even make it 48 hours. That's okay with me for them to have that sort of random element to it, because if everything is predictable in this sort of management game, for lack of a better word, then it gets boring very quickly. So I'm sure it could be frustrating because it is really difficult, but at the same time, at least that keeps it interesting and it doesn't feel like everything is happening the same way all the time. Because if that's the case, it's pretty easy to beat these sorts of games because you know what to expect. On top of that, there is a story, and I presume it's an interesting one, though I very much do not survive long enough to figure it out. Every time you crash land on a new planet, you start with three possible people. And each one of those people has a different backstory and reacts with other people that they have landed with differently. Meaning that every single game that you do is different. And the story will be fleshed out by playing the entire game multiple times. That's really neat, and I think it really gives a whole lot of extra playtime to this for people who become very interested in it. It is a $12 game. I feel like that is well within what it should be. Gods Will Be Watching is a $10 game. It's a more fleshed out game. So if you really like Gods Will Be Watching, this is a great option. If you're looking at this going, oh, that seems really cool, you might want to pick up Gods Will Be Watching, which is a better game so far. This is good. It will become better, and I think it's a worthwhile pickup. Puss! Exclamation mark is a maze game that is super weird. What am I even looking at right now? It's like, I get some sort of kawaii? Is that how you say that word vibe? Like some kind of Hello Kitty stuff going on here? I, I'm a little confused. This is a game for people who take drugs, and they're wholehearted about it. The game isn't released yet, and it comes out on 420. Ah, well, at least they're honest about it. It actually looks kind of hard, though. It's stupid hard, and they're unapologetic about it. The whole point of this game is to move your cat face from one side to the other and get to the exit. You do this by using just your mouse and avoiding the walls. Now, unlike a lot of the move your mouse through a maze type of games that you can find on browsers for free, this is a game where you can occasionally hit the walls, but you'll be crushed if you hit too many walls. You start with nine lives, you gain more lives, you lose lives. There's also some interesting tricks to this game where you can hit a button and then die, restart, and that is the effective way of beating the map. So death your own death comes into play. It's very interesting. That is interesting. So dying is forced upon you in order to actually beat the level. I guess I like that. I mean, it's different, I guess you could say. This game definitely seems like one of those trial and error type experiences. I'll say that where it's really just about dying to learn, right? You learn by dying and you progress through the game by repetitively using your own lives to figure out how exactly these levels work. And that sort of experience to me can be a good or bad thing. This looks like it's doing it in a way that might feel kind of rewarding once you make it through a level. You know, at the same time, I totally expect it to just get harder and harder and more difficult as you go along. Am I right? Like, it just, it starts out pretty easy, and you progress through the first world, and eventually you get a little frustrated 
frustrated and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm starting to hate this game. You have like two tutorial levels that are very, very simple. And then every single level after that is completely randomly given to you. So you'll never play the same sequence of levels. They always just kind of show up. It's super hard, which I mean, so hard. Now, there's also a bullet hell part of this, so you can have giant freaking cats shooting laser beams out of their eyes that you also have to get past while trying to get through the maze. Ridiculous. It's just another example of something that people who do drugs would love, though. Like, I think they have done a good job in that regard. I have to give them credit. If they were going for a really trippy kind of hallucinogenic vibe here, they certainly succeeded. I'll say that. That they did. There's all sorts of stuff to this game. There's skins for your cat. There's leaderboards. There's friends and all sorts of random stuff. This is a weird freaking game, and it's unapologetically weird. Was it fun, though? I don't know. <laughs> right? That's the vibe I get. Like, anything I'm trying to think about this game, I'm like, I don't know. Like, do I like it? I don't know. How much does it cost, though? Don't know yet. Won't know for a while. Again, it doesn't come out until April 20th, so you've got some time to think about this. There's a free demo if you want to try it out, which is basically the same game as what you are seeing here. It's enough that you'll figure out if you like it or not. Well, there's Puss. It is a game, and it exists. Internal Light VR is a first-person escape-the-room puzzle type of game, but unlike a lot of them, because there are a lot of them, this one just struck me. It was super neat. What about it is neat? The first thing I notice is it's dark and there are lights shining around, like... It does look like it would be fun just to experience. The experience is really cool, and they've put a lot of time and effort into making it feel like a natural, actual escape the room, but it's more of like an escape the thing, the entire thing. All of the puzzles felt very natural, and they were easy to understand. At no point did I ever feel like I was stuck in a puzzle that was... Sierra Adventure-esque, meaning it was the kind of puzzle that you look at and you go, oh, I had to kill the weasel in level one in order for this hot air balloon not to explode. The butterfly effect of adventure games. That kind of puzzle doesn't exist here. Everything's very straightforward and all makes sense. None of it is really particularly difficult. It's just you have to use your brain. I like that. That's always the best part of an Escape the Room, or any puzzle game for that matter, really, is about how it makes you use your brain, and do you feel satisfied when you actually solve the puzzle? Because I have seen another Escape the Room games before where either the hints will give you too much, and the puzzle doesn't feel fun because of that, because once you reach that point, the game basically tells you how to solve it, so you don't really feel that reward or satisfaction and then i've seen other puzzle games before that are just simply too hard and that doesn't feel rewarding either because you spend too long standing around wondering what to do next pacing is really important in these games is what i'm getting at i guess so when you say it makes you use your brain and you liked the way that that felt that is promising to me because that really is the key to making a good escape the room or a good puzzle game in my opinion and this really is a good escape the room a good puzzle game everything i did again felt very natural and it was neat. It wasn't necessarily the prettiest game, and I have a feeling that's why it's so dark, is because it's not particularly pretty, but it was still good, and everything was natural. For example, if you have to walk through a forest with various cameras out, 
you can see their cone of light and you can see how they move. This game also takes an extra step and throws in things that you don't normally see in this genre, like vehicles, which is cool. You have various vehicles that you can use and move and there's stuff happening. It's very much not the traditional escape the room where it's like, okay, you need to look and find this random number and then you have to take this and you have to put papers together. It's not that kind of an experience. It felt like I was actually moving through a real place. That actually sounds really cool. A lot cooler than some of the other escape rooms we've looked at. One thing I am curious about is the movement. The walking seems to be kind of slow. Did you encounter that or feel like the walking could have been done better? That is the only complaint. The only complaint that I have about this game, which is that the movement is a movement that you have to stick your hand out, press the button, and then you pull backwards like you're on a rope, using the rope to pull yourself forward. It's not the best, and I would have actually preferred a D-pad movement in this game. I could absolutely see that. So it's kind of like the swing your arms to move games, but a little worse, I guess you could say? I understand why they did it, and it's because this is designed to be on as many platforms as possible. That being said, I still would have liked to have the option, and if they decide to do that, I would applaud them for it, and it would be easier. I would like that. But with that one complaint aside, it, it seems like it's still fun. You liked it. How much does it cost? That's the best news of all. This is a $5 game. Okay, see, that's good news. I like hearing that, especially considering that it's an Escape the Room, but it isn't like other Escape the Rooms, and then to hear that the price tag is completely reasonable, that's awesome news. It is incredible news. I love this game. It was super cool. It had cool moments in it. It had great set pieces. It's completely affordable. The only thing I didn't like was the fact that I didn't have different types of movement. And I feel like they can fix that pretty easily, so I have no reason not to recommend this wholeheartedly. Island Buildmaster is essentially a tower defense game, but it's also a building game with melee characters and an economy. Sounds like it might be trying to do too much. I automatically see that it looks kind of outdated in terms of the overhead map, the way everything looks. I could be totally wrong about that. It just, I kind of get that vibe off of first impression that it looks sort of alpha. I don't know what to say about this game. It's not a beta. It's actually at version 2.0. Oh. It's really weird. You have customized characters, but you only get one and it's the same guy every single time. There's buildings, but you don't actually build anything. You just kind of select it, and then for whatever reason, you get a loot drop from a helicopter that has the building in it, and then you can place it. On top of that, there's an economy where you have to maintain various buildings for bricks and money while also building up your civilian population in the buildings and there are randomly spawning bad guys who show up in a big red thing and then start destroying stuff it's super strange and none of it felt good you manage this entire map basically and you switch from an overhead view to first person to go down there and use melee attacks on the enemies? Is, is that how this is working right now? Right. So when you're building stuff, it's third person. But when you're running around or attacking stuff, it's first person. You also go to third person in order to collect money and bricks or to increase the civilians inside of 
a building. I don't know what to say about this. They call it a city building simulator, but it's not. Then they say that your whole thing is about restoring the city, but there's no city. You're literally just building houses. Supposed to have allied forces, but... I never saw that. It seems like it's a little bit of everything, but not a lot of anything. So did that work for you? Was this an enjoyable experience or did it fall short on the entertainment value? I was mostly really confused. Nothing felt smooth. I'm also the only person who's ever played this game. Ever? I'm the only person who has ever played this game. Why? No one else has ever played this game. <laughs> Well, I guess that makes you this game's biggest fan. Literally no one has ever played this game but me. So it would be kind of hard to recommend something that you just didn't quite understand, I guess. Like, I feel bad about it at the same time, because I, I feel like this is one guy's passion project, and he has great lofty goals, and I couldn't see them. Yeah. And I couldn't see any of them, and I feel bad about that, but it's just so weird and poorly explained and stuff is broken and it's unintuitive and there's just weird stuff here. It's it's like five different genres of game and part of me wants to say you should buy it, so I'm not the only person who's played this weird freaking game. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. It looks so flat to me. Like, I understand now it's supposed to be a city, but for the, the longest time, I was thinking I was looking at, like, an Air Force base or something because everything is so flat and just there. It's like buildings sitting on these weird flat surfaces with roads that run around that look more like runways. I'm a little confused, too, just watching it. Maybe I should play it to see if I could figure it out. Here's the thing, right? And I'm going to be really blunt blunt about this. This is a $7 game. It's not worth $7. However, in the less than 30 days that this game has been out, it's already in a bundle. Now, we've talked about this a little bit before, but one of the biggest scams that game makers have done is to price their games absurdly high so that they can then sell keys to bundles. Because if you're a developer in Steam, you can just generate Steam codes, right? They generate a bunch of Steam codes and then sell these to the bundles for 10 cents a piece or whatever, so that they can show that that game is 99% off. And people go, oh, that's a great deal. Oh, this is a steal. I'm getting this $7 game for 99 cent or for 10 cent, when in reality, that's what it was worth to begin with. And it was just a way for the developer, not saying he's doing that, but it has been done many times before, to take advantage of that entire strategy of overpricing it so you can sell it for a real value and make it seem like it's a super great deal. It's a really common thing, and I kind of feel like this is one of those. But then, at the same time, they've put in a lot of updates. And I realize that this short review is already getting long, but that's what I feel. So I don't recommend it at all. It's not an enjoyable title. And you can trust me, because I'm the only one who's ever played it. <laughs> so Brax. Yes? Are you a Nintendo fan? Mm, it's hard for me to say yes, because not really. To be honest, some Nintendo games I'm a huge fan of, I'll admit that. But the company itself, I don't always respect what they do. So over the weekend, the Nintendo Switch hit its one-year mark. It is now a year old, it's been out for a year, and it feels like it just came out, at least to me. Eh, 
it kind of feels like it's been out a year to me. I did see so many people talking about the Switch's birthday, whether it would be making videos, tweeting it out, all of that stuff. So yeah, it's been really popular to talk about the Twitch this week for sure. It's kind of the most popular thing happening, and everybody's making a video about it because they want those sweet, sweet views. I guess I can't fault them for that, but at the same time, what is there really to say other than to look back over the year and go, Oh my god, I love Breath of the Wild! I love Super Mario Odyssey! This is the best game ever! And I think that actually is kind of the crux of my problem with the Nintendo Switch. My dad loves his Switch. I bought him one for Christmas. He adores it. He takes it everywhere with him. He plays it all the time. He adores it. And he plays one game on it. That one game is Zelda. It's the only game he plays on it. He played Mario Odyssey for a weekend, but he plays Zelda. And I think for me, the problem is the same problem with every Nintendo console. It doesn't really feel like the third-party games are worth getting on it other than if you only have a Switch. I can certainly agree with that. I mean, Nintendo is really famous for basically having three or four franchises or titles that they completely found their platform on, right? And that works. There's nothing wrong with it. I've played quite a few Mario games in the past that I absolutely loved. But that's the reason I have not bought a Switch, because when I look at the Switch library, I say, hmm, I want to play Zelda. That's really the only thing I would want to play. I have a buddy that might want to play Splatoon 2. I guess I could play that. But in reality, Zelda is the only thing that I look at the Switch and I say, that's a must-have. And I've even considered almost getting a Switch just for that one game. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I am satisfied with that, even though I'm willing to do that to an extent. It's like there should be more stuff out there than just Zelda. And I get it, Super Mario Odyssey's on there too, but... I don't know. That doesn't excite me. And even if it's two games, I still only see two at the outside, three games on that entire console that I would be really excited about. And I'm not going to spend $300 to have two or three games. That's where I consistently find myself not interested in it. Like, people say, oh, but it has Doom. Right, but I have a PC. Oh, but it has Skyrim. Right, but I have a PC. Oh, it has Minecraft. Right, but I have a PC. Oh, it has Shovel Knight. Well, I've got a PC. Every single one of the games that isn't a Nintendo exclusive makes me go, right, but... It's not only that they're on PC or whatever. It's the fact to me that I've already played them. Oh, Skyrim's on there. So? You know how many times I've played Skyrim? Oh, Minecraft's on there. So? I played Minecraft. These ports aren't going to make me really think, all right, now I have to go get a Switch. Why? To play a game I've already played? Again, as far as something I want to play, Zelda, Super Mario Odyssey, it's about it. Yeah, even when you start saying, okay, well, there's Wolfenstein on there, great, but I've played that, and unless I am a Switch owner who doesn't have a PC or doesn't have a Xbox or doesn't have a PlayStation, I don't see a lot of reason to pick it up. I think that if you were to have a major Switch fan try to sell you a Switch as an owner of any other platform, they would be hard-pressed to not say Zelda and Mario. And the fact that I can carry it with me. Yeah, you've played Skyrim before, but can you carry it with you on the bus? Well, no, but I don't really want to. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I do like that idea, though. Like, if I were really into Zelda, the idea of being able to carry it with me somewhere really is the largest selling point for the Switch. And you see that in the advertising campaigns. Of course, that's the centerpiece of it. 
you have a bunch of friends sitting on a couch playing the Switch, and then one of them, you know, picks it up and takes it with them at the end of it to show you, hey, not only can you play these games, you can play them on the go. I like that idea, but at the same time, it still needs more things to play on the go. Like, I want more than just a couple of games that I would enjoy playing on the ride to work, or, you know, if I was on a plane or traveling, whatever the case might be, even if I can take it with me, I don't want to play just those two games all the time, you know? Exactly. So the Switch has been out for a year and we've got a lot of games on it now. It has a huge library of like 500 titles. That's a lot of games, but the games that are on it are games that have been out for a long time. And if you have any other platform, probably better for that. For example, could you imagine playing Outlast 2 on the Switch while you're on a bus? Uh, yeah, I guess I could imagine that. It would probably... <laughs> It would probably be very interesting for my fellow passengers if I, you know, started screaming or something, but <laughs> it would be a heck of an experience, I'll say that. And outside of that kind of stuff, we're talking games that have been out for a long time. Payday 2 or Bridge Constructor Portal. It hasn't been out for a long time, but it's out on a different platform that is probably better for it. You have games like The Final Station, which have been out for years. I'm really having a difficult time understanding how, as a fan with more than one console, the Switch has any real draw outside of Zelda. If I owned a Switch, what I would expect out of it would be a 3DS next-gen, whatever they would call that. Like, take the 3DS and imagine the next-gen version of it. The Switch should be doing that, as well as being a home console that you hook up to your TV, etc. And I think that would be the draw. From my understanding, the latest generation of Pokemon, which is one of the, you know, largest Nintendo games of all time, it's one of the biggest games in the world, didn't even come out on the Switch. It's scheduled for release next year. So Pokemon Sun and Moon won't be out on Switch until 2019. I think if they were to introduce those mobile games that make the 3DS famous or, you know, the Nintendo Game Boy or the Game Boy Advance, that whole line of systems, if they were to somehow make the Switch double as that the new version, the new generation, and what it already does, that would be the selling point for me. I would absolutely invest in it if I could count on the fact that those famous games that I can carry around in my hands over the years, whether it be a Harvest Moon or a Pokemon, whatever, if that were on there, I would feel a lot better about spending $300. Because at that point, I would feel like I'm getting basically two systems in one. And if they were to market it that way and focus on doing it that way, that would be a huge plus for me. Yeah, I can definitely see that. And I think really my biggest complaint is, I want to make it clear, this isn't about people who only own a Switch or who are primarily dedicated to the Switch. Because I'm glad that these games are coming out on a Nintendo console. I'm glad that... You can play Wolfenstein, and you can play Doom, and I don't think they've had any of them since the Super Nintendo. So I'm glad that Nintendo is allowing third parties and third parties are getting interested in them. I'm just not convinced that there is any reason to pick it up if you're not dedicated to the system as it is. I can't see why I would do that. With the homogenization of gaming over the past couple of years, 
very few developers will release only on one platform and very few will release only on a Nintendo platform. And Nintendo has built that stigma themselves by being kind of unfriendly to third-party developers. Now we've got a situation where the Switch has a lot of games and almost none of them are games that you can't play on your other console or PC. That I think is the problem. Not enough really drawing me in there. And if I wanted to say that, well, it's got the Nintendo exclusives, outside of Zelda, the rest of them aren't a big enough draw, I think, personally, that I would pick it up. Like, I'm not going to be rushing out to pick up Mario Tennis. It's the same for me. Rushing out to pick up the new Yoshi. It's the same for me, and part of that might be the fact that I'm just not a huge Mario fan, or I'm not a huge fan of the games that Nintendo prides itself on as being exclusives. That could just be that it's not my cup of tea, and I'm okay with saying that. What you've hit on is something important to consider, the fact that if it isn't an exclusive, it's already there. And I think the reason for that is because the Switch basically came out in the middle of the PS4 and the Xbox One's life cycle, right? Those consoles had already been out for quite a while. And of course, PCs are PCs. You just upgrade. You don't really, you know, it doesn't work that way with PCs. So the PC, of course, has been around too. These games that are coming out on Switch have already been out because the Switch was a little late to the party in this generation. Like, it was a little delayed, and now they've put themselves in a spot where, unless you're a Nintendo diehard fan, people aren't going to be going out there to pick that Switch up. I mean, maybe they are. I think their sales are actually doing pretty well. But the point still remains to me, if you aren't an absolute fanboy, basically, who's there to, I want the new Mario Kart, I want this new Donkey Kong weird game, even though I don't know about Donkey Kong anymore, you see my point. Like, there are Nintendo fans out there that are absolutely serious about it, and they buy Nintendo t-shirts, and they love the characters, and their room might be full of posters of Nintendo characters. Those people do exist, and that's all well and fine, but for a more casual gamer, someone that just likes to play the new games, why do they necessarily want to go out and buy a Switch when odds are they probably already have one of the other consoles that beat the Switch to the party in this generation? And have the games that the Switch has. Already, and have had them for, you know, months or maybe even years. Yeah, I mean, when we're talking Wolfenstein, it's not even out on the Switch yet. It's one of those things where we're talking about a game that is last year's game of the year for me coming out for the switch sometime in 2018 it just seems to be lacking something there i'm not sure what it is i don't know if developers are afraid of the switch and so they won't exclusively put anything on it or if nintendo makes it difficult to work on the switch and have exclusives or i get that nintendo also doesn't care they make lots of money off of just doing their thing and they've always done that. They will make money just by putting Mario onto a new sport, slapping him into a game, and there we go. It's just difficult for me to say that as a gamer with not a Switch focus, that I would switch to the Switch. That's completely fair. I'm in that same boat with you. I will say I absolutely do want to play Breath of the Wild at some point. It looks like one of the most amazing games ever made, and it really intrigues me, and I've heard so many positive things. I want to make it clear that I'm not taking shots at the Switch, and I'm not saying, oh, it's bad, because I don't think it is bad. I think it has a lot going for it. It's just at some point for 
a gamer like myself who plays lots and lots of games, it's kind of nonsensical for me to make that sort of investment, a $300 investment in that particular platform, simply because of who I am as a gamer. In the future, you know, when they come out with the Super Smash Brothers on Switch and they have more stuff there that I can't get anywhere else and the price will probably have dropped by then, I could see myself picking one up. But in the current state of affairs, I just don't really envision it. 100% with you. I can't see myself picking one up because, quite frankly, any games that I would want to play, I've already played. And if I have a game that I want to play with somebody, because, hey, the Switch is mobile and you can take it and you can play it with somebody, probably going to play it with them on a PC because it's been built for that, people already own it, and so on. It's really difficult because the Switch, Zelda, and Mario, you're not going to go play that with somebody. I know that Mario has its multiplayer, but I mean, I'm not really. So you're not going to pick that up and you're not going to go play it with somebody. And I feel like that's something that we're missing. Pokemon would be a good option. Smash would be a great option. Something that has that couch co-op, multiplayer, let's bring our Switches together and play together. What do you think, though? I'd really like to know. Do you have a Switch? Are you a Switch owner with multiple consoles? Do you completely disagree or do you see the same problem we do? Let us know down in the comments. Let's have a little bit of a discussion about it. If you like this video, please go ahead and give it a like and share it. And if you don't, then don't do either of those. But if you did, you can watch another video up there in the corner right now. And as always, we'll see you guys on the next one.